0: Quantlayer is a software consultancy based in Brooklyn, New York. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Quantlayer. The information presented should not be construed as investment advice. Guests may maintain positions in assets
1: mentioned in the podcast.
2: I'm joined by Fizan, also known as The Wizard. What's going on, Fizan? Not much. How are you? Good. So a month back or so, we were at ETH Denver and we got to meet Edison Lim, who's the application lead at Zillica. ZIL, it's another blockchain protocol. And it's always interesting to learn about different technologies, what problems they're trying to solve, what approach they're taking, you know, how they might be different or similar to Bitcoin and Ethereum and so forth. So our conversation with him was mostly technical. So we thought we could talk a little bit about Zilliqa. And then, you know, after you're done listening to us, we have the conversation with Edison at the end of this recording. So definitely recommend listening. So yeah, Faison, what's your initial take on Zilliqa?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, they've gone ahead and created their own public blockchain platform to uh, fix some of the deficiencies that I think they saw in the existing ones, you know, particularly Ethereum, as it relates to scaling. And then more so that the actual smart contracts, how they're structured and then the language they're written in. So they have some interesting solutions to some of the problems we see there.
2: Yep. So I guess high level, what is it?
0: Yeah, so it's you know, it's a public blockchain platform so essentially it's the same idea as Ethereum. You can have transactions, you can mine, you can write smart contracts. So fundamentally it helps you accomplish the same goal. Uh they just have a different way they go about implementing some of the solutions to consensus and also to smart contracts that they hope gets around some of the issues we're seeing. Yep. So just at at a high level They're able to achieve pretty high throughput. I think currently they have a few thousand nodes. Uh, They just went, mainnet went live in January, and they're able to handle uh, in the order of thousands of transactions per second as of, I think, their last mention on their site. Yep. I mean, it may be higher by now because I think their graphic has not been updated. Other big innovation for them is uh, they created their own smart contract language. So where Solidity is more based on your traditional object-oriented curly braces, let's say a JavaScript style? Yep. We've seen over the years, there's a handful of issues with uh, Solidity contracts that are possible because of poorly managed state changes. There's some attack vectors like reentrancy attacks and whatnot. So they went the route of using a a functional language. So their uh, smart contract language is called Scylla. And it's based on OCaml. So what that allows you to do is uh, actually have formal verification uh, using the tool set that exists for that already. And also their approach to structuring smart contracts relies on establishing all of your context up front and then managing your state changes and side effects. Uh, So it should be much harder to have the sorts of issues that we have seen in smart
2: contracts. So maybe it's worth talking a little bit more about that, because I know, you know, we both like functional languages a lot. You're the one who got me interested in Elixir, for example. What do functional languages give you that you know non-functional languages don't?
0: Yeah, so in my opinion, with a functional language, as the complexity of a particular application, especially as it you have different pieces of code that interact and manipulate state, like as the complexity increases your maintainability stays relatively static. Whereas i found with a, a more object-oriented approach, it can quickly become very easy for the like complexity of tracking what's actually going on in your state to grow, let's say, a different, a higher big O. Like You can very quickly get into a situation where you're not sure what's changing the state where, where a mutation is happening. And so with a functional language, I think it's just easier to structure your code in such a way that, you can more easily track uh, mutations, like that's uh, changes to your state. Yep. And then also uh, your side effects. So in the case of like, you know, us writing Elixir code, that might be saving something to the database. In the case of a smart contract, it may be actually making a payment or in terms of state changes, just tracking, having a better idea of what your actual gas usage is going to be.
2: Yep. So, and I guess the, it kind of flows naturally from the functional side of languages that uh, you have a limited kind of base to work with. So you're not given like, like with something like a smart contract, you want to know what all the inputs and outputs are. And you probably want to know what, uh, given a certain input, pass it through a particular set of functions in a particular order. I want to know what the output's going to be. So limiting, like, I think you were talking about attack vectors earlier, makes sense from a functional perspective.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then Scylla, uh, which is based on OCaml, takes it to another level and it gives you the ability to actually do that process using formal verification techniques that is not as common in like web development, but does exist.
2: And that's what, like just straight math, Haskell type of formal verification? Okay.
0: Yeah, it's like actually uh, like a provable piece of code where you can actually write a proof that it's going to behave a certain way. Yep. And then. Uh, You know, moving on from the the smart contract piece, the other thing that's interesting about uh, Zilliqa is their uh, consensus mechanism. So obviously we've heard about proof of work and the complaints against it in terms of both like hardware requirements. You know, a lot of people don't like the energy use issues, but if you look at some of the other um, verification systems like proof of stake, you could argue that they're largely unproven. So, uh Zalika uses a sort of a hybrid consensus mechanism. So, they use a proof of work for minor verification. Mm-hmm. And then they use uh something called a practical a Byzantine fault tolerance for their consensus. So, I will well, I won't go into the like specific implementation of PBFT. We can uh, post a link in the show notes that goes into the actual consensus algorithm. Yep. But the general idea is that uh you need 33% of malicious nodes or more for a uh, for an attack. So essentially, to say it the, the other way around, you need a super majority of uh, good nodes for uh, PBFT to work correctly. Okay. And then there's quite a bit of communication overhead the way PBFT works. So as your group size increases, um, it doesn't scale very well to a ma- lar- very large number of nodes, mm-hmm. which would obviously be a problem for uh Zelika so their innovation on top of PBFT has been to uh use a sharding strategy so that you have smaller consensus group sizes within each shard so you're still able to scale this PBFT up to a, a large number of nodes yep so one of the benefits of PBFT is Rather than a winner take all like I found the block I get all the rewards, you get evenly distributed rewards depending on the amount of shares towards the problem that you contributed. you do get less energy usage and you actually don't need to wait for confirmations. so the, the way it works is that once the super majority has like approved a block essentially mm-hmm. that's final. And so that I think there's obviously you know speed benefits there because you don't have to wait around for confirmations. Right. So that that I guess
2: helps on the uh on the throughput.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just in terms of you know, there's definitely applications where you need transaction not just throughput, but like you need a transaction to be reliable in less than an hour. Right. Even if it's the only one on the whole network. So it's helps to solve solve that problem as well.
2: Gotcha. And I guess stepping back even like more high level, what are the kinds of things people are building on it? You know, what kind of uh Problems are they solving from like a business or market perspective?
0: Yeah, so obviously Zalika is still uh, very new. Mainnet was just launched in uh, January. Yep, but it is you know pretty general purpose platform. So if you just go on their site, they have a few D apps that have launched already. One of them is a supply chain management platform, which allows you to do instantaneous multi currency payments. There's a game. There's this thing called Bolt, which as best I could tell is a a tokenized media company. Okay. And then a few others. So, you know, it is a general purpose uh, platform. So there's, I don't think there's anything that is, I didn't see any clear reason why there would be any limitations on what you can do in Zilliqa versus something like Ethereum. But arguably there are some things that are now enabled by being able to have higher transaction throughput or conceivably lower gas costs. Mm Mm-hmm. On the flip side, they've made a choice in terms of going with OCaml and really, I guess you don't have to use formal verification, you don't have to buy into the whole approach. But fundamentally, there's going to be more of a learning curve for, I would say, the majority of developers to get into something like Scylla than there would be Solidity. So maybe that makes it a little bit more of a learning curve to get on board. But I would argue like this space needs people thinking that way in terms of how to write secure and reliable and verifiable smart contracts. So maybe it's actually a positive.
2: Right. And I guess teams can also be structured in a particular way where, you know, there a group of developers who are more familiar with formal verification methods, you know, do one set of tasks, kind of like how architects kind of architect systems, I guess, but don't necessarily get into application development. Yeah. yeah. So there's ways to maybe manage your teams uh, just talking off, off the cuff, but there might be ways to like manage your team where you where you can handle this kind of workflow. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So yeah, right after this, we will have Edison on, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that one. Thanks. Hey, everyone. This is Vikram from QuantLayer, and I'm joined by Faison, also known as The Wizard, and Edison Lim from Zalika. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us, Edison. So just so you guys know, Edison is a blockchain developer at Zalika, and uh, I thought it would be good to kind of start off with a high-level overview of Zilliqa and how it is similar and different from, say, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So great to have you here. We'd love to chat about that.
1: Certainly. I'm happy to share. So Zelika is a public permissionless blockchain, and we are a layer one solution just like Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin. But the differentiation of Zelika is that we are a high throughput and high capacity blockchain meaning to say that we are secure and scalable. We are able to process a high number of transactions based on our sharding technology. And we just went uh, Mainnet last month. And I'm happy to share that on on the progress.
2: Uh, Yeah, that sounds great. So you said you went Mainnet about a month ago? Yes, we went Mainnet about a month ago. Okay. Yep. Uh, And so what does that mean?
1: Okay, sure. So it it means that uh, just like Bitcoin and Ethereum, people are able to actually send... uh, uh, I mean that in the in the next one month, they'll be able to send transactions, and it will be its own chain with their own native token. So this is a very big, big step for us because you know in the ICO stage, many projects have come up, and we are one of the first few projects to actually have a sharding compatible blockchain that is already on the mainnet. So it is quite significant. So why why I say in the next one month is because even though we went mainnet last on thirty first January. But what happens between now and till a a certain set period of time is that we are going through this bootstrap phase for about a a month. And the reason why we have this is because we want to get the hash power high enough so that the, the blockchain is secure before we allow transactions to happen. I think before I, before I reach to why the hash power is needed, I think I have to talk a bit on the consensus algorithm. Yeah, yeah. yeah because I haven't shared about what makes us different from Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah, right. let's do that. Yes. So um, Bitcoin and Ethereum uses proof of work. And uh, the idea is that the miners will always validate and try to solve like cryptographic puzzles. And in the process, it actually takes a a lot of time and a lot of like uh, energy to actually do it. So some studies say that the energy needed to run the Bitcoin, uh POW, to maybe mine the Bitcoin is actually more than the value of the Bitcoin that it is mining. So that's in the recent news. And we have, of course, like since two years ago, we think that this is not a very scalable approach. And uh we started off in the research lab back in National Uni- University of Singapore. And we researched and implemented a sharding blockchain that do not ch- just use a like POW for, for transactions like consensus. But instead, what we use POW is is to do this like the this entry ticket to the network. Mm-hmm. And after which, when you when you get into the network, we run a practical Byzantine fault tolerance, which is also known as PBFT, to do the transactions like consensus. So as a result, the energy needed to actually run and validate a block. And validate transactions is actually a lot more cost efficient. And partly because of that, we are able to achieve a high number of transactions. So, if you think of us, we may say we are very similar, uh, like the, the POW's purpose here is very similar to that of the Bitcoin NG, where you need to run POW consensus to get into the, the blockchain. And the reason why is because we want to have this severe resistance to prevent people from spoofing the network. Yeah. Yep. Hope that's clear and concise. Yeah,
0: yep. Are there any trade-offs to using uh, this consensus
1: algorithm versus like the
0: traditional proof of work that like Bitcoin
1: uses? Of course, there there will be. So uh, first of all, PoW is, to, to our understanding, is the most uh, tested and it has been tested for more than ten years. It's widely used and it's already in, in uh, used by many people in the world. Uh, for us, is that one of the things that we tried and we are very experimental on is that we are trying to implement sharding. And shutting is not an easy thing to do. And I mean we try to make it more efficient by running PBFT, which uh in the classical algorithm is that you always have a have a maximum number of nodes that you can run. And that's because that PBFT does not scale very well above, like, say, 100 nodes. So, but what we do in Zilliqa is to make optimizations, uh, through like cryptographic libraries and also through the code level, such that we are able to bring it up to around 600 nodes. So this is actually how we actually, uh, because of the PBFT, the design is that it is not potentially able to hold, like, 10,000 people running PBFT at the same time. The, the, the group size is fairly small compared to what Ethereum and Bitcoin is, uh, is used to. So therefore, you have to actually optimize and control them. And in Zilliqa, is that we control them within the shard. So so the, the, the size of the shard and the, the, the run the PBFT is, is contained there,
2: right? So I guess uh, it's interesting, this approach is one reason that I think it's interesting is it's, uh, you're putting sharding up front Right. First, uh, compared to you know other blockchains that, so right. if Ethereum, for example, they are one approach to scalability is that they're attempting sharding now much later. Yes. So I guess architecting it up front, there are some advantages there.
1: Yes, there's definitely an advantage too. So, um, like in Zedekar, it's like, so one important differentiation about us is that we actually built everything from scratch. Uh, so basically everything in, in Zilliqa, except for the POW algorithm, which is from Ephash, is actually built from scratch. And, uh, that includes our blockchain, the sharding, and even the smart contract layer. So we didn't use the Ethereum virtual machine. We implemented a smart contract language called Scylla, which stands for smart contract intermediate level language. So what it aims to do is to make smart contracts more secure, and we try to address some of the issues that happened uh, previously, like the DAO hack and the parity wallet. So by having the chance to actually look into the blockchain space in 2017, 2018, and we address the the, the flaws and the the things that happened way, way longer before, we are able to bring a more sophisticated and state-of-the-art technology to the blockchain space. And uh, I think this is something to be excited about in 2019. Okay. And what are some of
0: the uh, changes that you made for security in, in your smart contract language?
1: And so some of the things are, for example, like the uh, in, in Solidity, the most uh, well-known smart contract language in the world, like, like said, you, what they use in Ethereum is that it closely resembles that dual web where you are able to actually call another contract in the middle of your function to go into another address and basically import another, another function. So what we can think of is that, for example, if you have a crowdfunding uh, contract and you are trying to uh, contribute money to the funds, you can say that I'm going to, to, to send money to another address. And after that is done, you can basically return the value back to your original contract and continue down to the final instruction. So that is basically how solidity is. Uh, but for Scylla itself is that we have a principled way about uh reasoning about this communication. And the reason is because of the the DAO hack, the DAO, DAO hack in 2016. So an attacker is able to exploit a flaw in the contract and that bug is known as the re entrancy attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what basically happened is that in the DAO hack, there is a function called claim back function, which allows people to claim uh, funds from the contract. And what it basically does is that it takes into account like how much money to return people and it sends the money back to an address. But the problem is that the when the developers were developing this, they did not imagine that the address uh, that is calling this contract and the one that is he's supposed to send the money to, it might not be a user. It might be a be a contract. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it is a contract, and it basically re-enter the DAO contract again. And this allows it, uh, and this is basically re-entering the contract and running a same instruction. So this allows the attacker to really drain the funds away from the DAO contract. And to some people who are watching it in 2016, it's like watching a bank robbery in real time. You're seeing your money being drained, but you have, you have no way to go about it. So, so when we look into this problem, uh, yes, like on the, in the recent like technologies that we have ways to actually solve this on, on solidity. But we think that in the long term, it is actually better to have communications to happen at the last. So in Scylla, we enforce that on a language level that the, the communication happened at the, at the last. And we always separate communications and computations. So that's basically what we did with Scylla.
2: Um, can you expand on that point? That sounds pretty
1: interesting as far as uh, you said, what do you wait for until the end? Uh, communication. Okay. Okay, so one of the things, and, and I think is a good practice about uh, programming on smart contract, is that uh, you have to do three things in order. You have to first check whether your conditions are valid whether your parameters are valid, whether, for example, the, the sender who is making the, the call, is he authorized to do a certain call. So you have to do that check first, then you make the state changes uh, secondly, so including things like updating the, the state of a contract. And ultimately, you send uh, your you send message at the last instruction. Uh, and the reason why is because uh, it is easy to actually revert if that last call fails. And, uh, you can always change the state back to, to what it was before. And also, secondly, is that you, when you're running smart contract on the, on the blockchain, you must always assume that you are in a very malicious and Byzantine environment. So you, you cannot trust the output that is, uh, you you cannot trust who you're sending the the message to. You should always assume the, the worst case scenario. And the way to do it is to, is to firstly, like, update the state first before sending it to another address so if we go back to the Dow uh, incident if I were to rewrite the contract I will make the state changes first then I will make the call to that address so in, if in this case then the attacker would not be able to drain the funds because when they look in the state there wasn't enough money that this transaction has already been called so in that case he's not able to actually he, even if he's able to re-enter the contract he's not able to, to do anything with that because the state changes have already been made
2: Got it. So I've just pulled up the GitHub repo for uh, Scylla. So the language itself, what is it similar to? It's
1: similar, similar to OCaml. OCaml. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: What was your, uh, like, what drove that decision? Okay. So the decision is driven mainly by that. Sometimes, like, we, we as programmers we feel that functional programming is actually a better way to do things, that it is a lot easier to reason about the correctness. So, firstly, uh, that's on that. And also the second reason, which is the more prominent reason, is that the SILA language is actually developed hand-in-hand together with COG, which is a proof assistant for doing formal verification. So our idea and our envision for the future of Zilica or SILA is that by using the language, we can easily amend them to formal verification and if need be, to create an automated tool to actually do it so that contracts in the future are mathematically proven to be secure.
2: So I think another smart contract platform that wants to do something similar is uh, Cardano.
1: Is that is that right? Yes, I think that there are, there's quite a few Cardano, I think uh, Bamboo as well. Okay.
2: Yeah, got it. So uh, stepping back a second. So what is your background
1: with respect
2: to uh, smart contracts? How did you get into the space?
1: Alright, alright. So, uh, it all started, uh, since like two years ago when I was in grad school at CMU. I started playing around with the Sol- uh, solidity, uh, running some Ethereum nodes to-, to actually, uh, see what is going on. So I was a hobbyist and not really considering it as a, as a proper career. So I built things like a, uh, very simple contracts to do funds, uh, like ERC-20 contracts and, and that's about it. And by the end of my grad school at CMU, I started doing a thesis on blockchain to do a security uh, analysis of blockchain, permission blockchain in particular. So, uh, as I mean, and developed some experiments with the Hyperledger Fabric. So, and finally, I think that during grad school, it became clear to me that this is a space that is very exciting. And uh, specifically, during my thesis, I realized that the application layer is. Uh, it's basically what is lacking, and which is why it really inspired me to actually get into this space to contribute as an as an application developer.
2: Gotcha. And what is your like? What's your setup? What do you uh, What do you program on right now?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Vim user, and uh, it's it's very very different from the rest of the team, which is uh, Emacs user. So yeah, I I, <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I noticed in the Scylla docs, there's a little section for Emacs users. <laughs> if you
1: look at it, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a Vim syntax highlighting that's written okay. by me <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I was yeah. the only Veeam user in the team. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my setup, and um, I also use the uh, Visual Studio, which is uh the best product made by Microsoft in ten years. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I everyone, everyone well. says that yeah. Visual Studio Code is by far the best product in 10 years.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what's your tooling? So, it, you know, when we're programming in, in JavaScript or in React, for example, like we have a particular set of tooling that we use. So right. what, is, what is your tooling?
1: Uh, I think in terms of tooling, I think it is just using Visual Studios and uh, Visual Studio Code, Linters, and TypeScript. Like these days, we have been trying to convert everything into TypeScript because we think that it makes our code less vulnerable to errors. So that's, that's a pro- uh, process. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking, but when it comes to proper pushing of code to the GitHub, there's a st- standard CI and, uh, CD like control to basically allow, uh, CI being continuous uh, integration and continuous deployment, I believe. So we use a Travis to actually check whether our test cases pass before it is being permitted to be merged with master. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is what you're you yeah. Know, Just curious asking. About, yeah, but this is the full cycle, cycle of like what happens at a code level yeah. and what ultimately ends up in Zilliqa code base.
2: Yeah, I, I guess what I wanted to kind of understand too was you know Solidity developers, their tooling. They have stuff like Truffle. They have that new Embark thing that came out. They have a, different frameworks they use. So what is uh, like what is that analogy in, for you?
1: Uh, so in uh, in, in case, we unfortunately do not have the advantage of the ecosystem in EVM, which is uh, amazing in my opinion. Uh, Truffle works nicely with Travis, something that I will want as well. But given the limited limited time, what we do right now is that we have a. Uh, we have a shell script to actually do the testing. So if you look into the uh, Scylla repo, you will see a test suite that is written in OCaml. So you can you can write your new test cases in. You can do the automated testing to make sure that your contracts do not break the previous test cases. So, I mean, if you compare it with us to Ethereum, we might be a little bit more troublesome to set up. But the purpose is the same, is that we have a tool to actually test and make sure that uh your contract pass the type checkers and also is able to generate the expected output that you want. And I think that that that's basically it. We use a shell script to run that OCamer's o- um uh test suite. Mm-hmm.
2: And I mean, I think that's I think that's natural, right? Like right. The, uh, the Ethereum ecosystem has has been around for a while and has quite yes. a few number of users. So it'll take time, I'm sure, that it'll change over time. Do you guys have a roadmap for kind of uh, fleshing out that ecosystem?
1: Uh, yes, we do. So, um, I think that, uh, let me just go back to the very beginning. So, I was the one who wrote the test RPC for Zelika, who, which is the Ganesh equivalent for Zelika. You're able to use it as a local host and you can send a transactions to it. It can basically, it's a private pseudo blockchain, if I may. And, uh, it supports most of the features, but going on for now, we have a grant program that encourages people to build tools on top of Zilliqa. So, including things like, if you are interested to build a uh, traffic equivalent for, for Zilliqa, uh, which I think someone is already working on, on a project. It's already halfway there. Mm-hmm. You are encouraged to apply for the grant. We also have a need for things like editor plugging. So, uh, even though we have a like Vim and Emacs, but we don't have a Visual Studio yet. And we don't have a, a, and I think in terms of like plugins for editors, you can go a lot more sophisticated, like even having, having auto format and even linkers. So we, we will want that as well. And I think that, uh, basically it's like having like a better testing tool, having an editor that is friendly to use and also having some interactive tutorials, which we already have one version up uh, that we'll be announcing shortly. Uh, but I think that these are all in the pipeline and and we are we're getting there.
0: And uh, where, uh, like for the grant program and for Zilliqa
1: itself, um, where has the funding come from? So the, the funding has always come from the team. We have set aside a sum of money. So we raise money through ICO. We set aside a budget just to give to this ecosystem. The, the idea is to promote the ecosystem, to support entrepreneurs who are interested to build the apps, and even to, to events like at EVE Denver, like we are right now. So as we are speaking, one of the bounty hunters who is working on the atomic swap between Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Zuleika is, is one of the finalists. And he's presenting downstairs as we speak. Nice. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yes. Yes. So that's if you are wondering uh, where where the money comes from and where it ends up. Do I think ultimately it goes back to the community to build that ecosystem that we need to make developers more efficient and productive.
2: And from a kind of educational perspective, if a developer wants to learn how to program on your platform, how would you recommend to them what path they should take?
1: First of all, like to to that regard, I think my standard answer will always be read the documentation. So that's the first step. So if you are someone who wants a more interactive like way to do it, you can try out our interactive tutorial, which we will be rolling out shortly. And it will guide you through just like, uh, I'm not sure if you heard about like Explore Go. So Go has a tutorial that brings people through a step-by-step tutorial. And we have the equivalent of that in, in Scylla as well. So if you are more interactive and you prefer to go through a more systematic uh, learning approach, feel free to go for that. And also we have, um, we have outreach everywhere in the world. We try to do it, uh, try to be fair and like distribute, it, distribute it, not just centric in Asia, but also to the North America, to Europe as well, where we will be coming down and giving you the workshop that will equip you with the skills that you need to write your first smart contract. And yeah, next week we are going to San Francisco to to give a programming workshop at the Developer Week.
2: And Edison, what are some types of D apps that you want to see on top of Zalika?
1: Mm, I think uh, right now there's a, there's a few things that I I really like is the idea of a peer-to-peer lending platform, whereby people are able to actually lend money to someone. So I was just thinking that like we have come we have come a long way, right? We Previously, did not imagine that you will be reaching out to me through our PR agency, which is based in Australia, and we meet here in Denver. It's it's pretty insane. Uh, and I think that maybe in the next five to ten years, I mean, uh, because I'm I'm in Singapore, I, I cannot imagine myself to actually lend money to someone in say Europe or South America because this these are pretty like, far places. But basically, capital is really something that is required anywhere in the world. And it'll be good if you can make it more fluid, if we can we can use uh, cryptocurrencies to transcend be- beyond geographic borders to make the society in general more, more more equal and more to bring opportunities to everyone.
2: And along those lines, as far as the grants go, are there grants for specific types of D apps? Is there a grant, for example, for this P2P D app?
1: Uh as of that. So how how the grant program works is that uh we have an ecosystem grant that We give out in batches. So once every few months, the, the past two grants have been focused on infrastructure. So which is where we get people building wallets, building the Truffle-like framework, building an SDKs for like Java, Ruby, even for Cocos, which is a, a gaming uh, editor. Uh, So those things we have already given out. So I think for the next one, we are trying to focus more on uh, innovative and entrepreneurial like DApps, where we encourage people to actually try their wildest ideas and uh, to have like a a business in mind that this is a product that they are very passionate about and uh, they want to grow this beyond beyond just a grant.
2: Great. Uh, Are there any other things that you want to let our audience know about?
1: Uh yes, I think that right now is that uh Zilliqa, as we have a uh, one mainnet, we it's going to be an exciting year ahead. So many things are going to move very fast. So if you think that you can build something that is the equivalent of like uh something that you want in the Ethereum but it's not available in Zilliqa, feel free to always reach out to us and apply for our grant. We basically need more builders to be on on our platform. Uh, this is where we are going to grow the ecosystem going forward. We also need more miners. So, uh, Zedica is a, is a high-true blockchain. And the way that we achieve decentralization is through miners. So we have designed in such a way that hobbies, uh, like if you have a hobbies with a, with a GPU rig of six uh, GPUs, you might never have a chance in Ethereum or Bitcoin. You will have to join a mining farm. But you'll get a chance to be a node in Zodica, and we will encourage as many of them to join us as possible because this is what makes the decentralized world so interesting.
2: Yeah. How many nodes are there right now, roughly? But do you have a ballpark kind of estimate?
1: So for the f- for the first uh, few months in the so while we are stabilizing the mainnet, the, we put a hard cap of two thousand four hundred nodes in total. So based on the current difficulty level of around thirty two to thirty four, it requires you six GPUs to be a node. So that is the the, the standard setup for uh, for a mining rig. So it means that like up to two thousand four hundred people can be. Can can join the network as a as a miner, and uh, we encourage people to come on board.
2: And why uh, why six GPUs? What is the uh, what's the meaning behind that?
1: So we actually do not control that number of GPUs. So we use the pure pure P- uh, uh, the ETH algorithm. So the protocol level decides on how how the difficulty is going to be. And okay. as we are speaking right now, the difficulty, difficulty is around thirty two to thirty four. It will go up in the future, but you still have a chance to join a network.
2: And is East Hash, uh is it, uh, is it ASIC resistant or is it tempting to be ASIC resistant?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not very uh, as an disclaimer, I'm not very very familiar with the mining mining side. But to mine resistant, uh, to mine the my understanding is that we are trying to make it it uh, resistant. I think that we we have been working on that for a while. So yep. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Edison.
2: Really appreciate it.
1: No, uh, thank Thanks for having me.
2: Hey, everyone. This is Vikram again. Thanks for listening to us. If you are an exchange, a trader, or working on a crypto project, get in touch with us. You can reach us on Twitter at QuantLayer. That's Q-U-A-N-T-L-A-Y-E-R. Or email me at vikram at quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M like Monero at quantlayer.com. I will write back. And if you like our podcast so far, please hit subscribe and rate and review us because that would help us a lot. Thanks.